Welcome back to the Florida History Podcast. I'm Carter Krishnire. And I'm Robert Bucciolato. Everglades National Park, one of the most famous and significant features of the landscape in Florida, uh, was designated a national park in 1947, even though original designation had come in 1934. Robert, it is yes. the only site in the United States that is a World Heritage Site, a Biosphere Reserve, and a, and a designated wetland of national significance. In fact, uh, Everglades National Park, I believe, may have been, I believe was the first U.S. site that was designated as a World Heritage Site. It is, uh, a place of incredible significance, yet was not protected in the early part of the 20th century and was be, ended up becoming a place for extensive hunting, poaching of animals, the draining of swamps, rerouting of water. We know that the construction industry did a number on the Everglades in the early part of the 20th century, and that includes the building of the Tamiami Trail, which cut off the water supply and the flow of water that has still not been solved in the Everglades, as well as uh, the channelization of a number of rivers and bodies of water for flood control, in addition to the uh, development and eventual uh, again, this is maybe an editorial opinion. Many and most people would agree with me over development of Southeast Florida, where Southeast Florida was a place with less than 50,000 residents in 1900. It is now uh, one of the six largest metropolitan areas in the country uh, with over six million people. So it, it, that, that, that rapid intensification in, uh, in 120 years has taken its toll on the environment. Uh, but Everglades National Park was designated, authorized in 1934, but because of the difficulties in acquiring land, it was not a, uh, 19, uh, until 1947, World Heritage Site in 79, uh, Biosphere Reserve in 76. Everglades uh, National Park is one of the great attractions in the state of Florida. And I think about it, we're recording this in, in the holiday season, uh, Robert, and I always think about it this time of year because... One thing I've noticed is, is is the incredible spike in the number of people who come to Florida to visit the Everglades in December and January. One, because that's the easiest time to get into an area, which is often very harsh climatically. Um, and two, it's just the great accompaniment, the best possible natural accompaniment in, in terms of ecotourism to a trip to Florida, which we know people from up north love to come to Florida in December and January. And, you know, I'm, I'm glad you actually mentioned the fact that the climate can be harsh sometimes because it's um, it's a very beautiful area. If people watching here live in Florida or travel often to Florida and haven't seen it, you should. It's gorgeous, but it is not uh, a very endearing climate uh, normally. But the interesting thing about this particular park and what is so tragic about it is that it is the only ecosystem of its kind in the in the world on the globe and 50 percent of it is gone yes due to (laughs) just rampant continuous abuse uh one of the the great political struggles of the 1880s, 1890s, and the turn of the last century was over the question of draining the Everglades. This was as big as the civil rights movement was in the 1950s and 60s. That was how big it was back then 
it was the the single issue on everybody's mind. And the whole reason was was that they wanted some people to preserve this great beauty, um, this wonderful natural research, I mean resource, but at the same time they wanted the land. And it was a very long time, almost until the 1930s or 40s, where people saw the devastation and realized something has to be done. But it was almost the entirety of South Florida was this beautiful ecosystem. And it went back 10,000 years. Yeah. So the number of events in that period, that was a great summary, Robert. The population land boom in Florida in the 1920s uh, just uh, began wreak havoc on the Everglades. You had the 1926 Great Miami Hurricane, which we're going to do a, a show on in the future, which uh, which was one of the big events that ushered in the Great Depression globally, because that ended the Florida land boom abruptly. That that 26 hurricane, but uh, that's a that's a conversation for another day. But that caused all sorts of problems with the Everglades ecosystem, as did the infamous 1928 Okeechobee hurricane, the second deadliest hurricane in the history of this country, claimed thousands of lives when Lake Okeechobee uh, surged over its levels, and they built a dike around the lake that then kind of obstructed the water flow. It cut cut off the water source f- uh, from the Everglades by cutting off Lake Okeechobee from the Everglades. Then you had a number of a number of years where trees were cut down. The timber industry throve in, in southern Florida to the point where trees were disappearing. Animals were being hunted into almost to extinction, including the American alligator, including, including frog species, many species of birds. I think a few species of birds because of... Uh, the, ha- the pl- uh, plume hat industry got, got uh, hunted to death. But then the the conversation start, started to change in the 1930s and 1940s. As you said, people began to realize, my goodness, uh, the alligators are, are dying out or getting being killed. That That's changing the, the whole food chain. We don't see as many birds, migratory birds, etc. There's uh, water quality issues, uh, not as many frogs, there are not as many fishes. As I said, wading birds had been basically hunted to death. Then the seminal mo- moment, a former Miami Herald reporter, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas, she began her research about the Miami River, which then had, had become channelized. Again, it's one of these Army Corps of Engineer flood project control, uh, you know, flood control projects. And she studied uh, the water and the land around the Miami River, which, of course, led directly into the Everglades, into the river gla- grass, as she called it. And she published... The Everglades, River of Grass in 1947, that was the year Everglades National Park was uh, designated. The entire conversation changed because of that book. Um, Interesting thing, too, about uh, the designation. Uh, Apparently, according to rumors, it was decided over a game of poker with uh, the pork chop gang. Correct, correct. Yeah. <laughs> I, I thought you would mention this. <laughs> yeah, it was a, um, and I, I believe he was an editor of a newspaper in South Florida, and he was uh, of like mind with the conservationists, and he was the only one that uh, could basically get in the room with the pork chop game gang. He was the only one that sort of spoke their language, and he was a very accomplished poker player, and he was cleaning them out, essentially. He was 
taking all their money. He's winning hand after hand after hand. And they finally asked him, you know, listen, <laughs> can you stop playing? And he said, well, I'll give you all your money back and I'll stop playing if you make this happen. And, you know, and they were so... Uh, you know, just opposed to this notion of conservation. They had, always been, <laughs> and they had so much um, animosity towards um, all these conservationist groups that were, you know, beginning to take place in the 30s and 40s. But there they were at the card table, and they said, "Yeah, sure, fine, whatever." And and God, you know, God only knows how long it would have taken if this guy was a bad poker player. Yeah, and I think the, the editor you're speaking of is John, John Pennycamp, who's yes. the editor of the Miami Herald uh, at the time. Uh, and he, would, he, he, he pushed it, and uh, Harry Truman was only more than happy to, uh, to designate it. Truman designated the National Park about a month after Marjorie Stoneman Douglas's book was published. So 1947 was a massive year, and it was only uh, two or three months after the Great Fort Lauderdale hurricane had hit South Florida. That was a, a high-end Cat 4 storm. And had ushered in more calls for draining the Everglades and flood control. So 1947, really a critical year in the history of southeastern Florida or history of the state in general because of the, the designation of Everglades National Park. The National Park has been in jeopardy. The Everglades ecosystem, as you mentioned, is in jeopardy from human uh, factors as well as climate change. Uh, but the park is incredibly diverse. I, I, I want to mention this for a minute because I think a lot of people go to the Everglades National Park main entrance, which you can access from Homestead, Florida City, that area, south southern Dade County, and miss out on other aspects of the park. You have the 10,000 Islands, which is uh, on the west coast. And it's in Collier County. You also have Gulf Coast entrance there with uh, uh, Big Cypress and access to the Big Cypress National Reserve, uh, National Reserve, the preserve there, as well as the Coral Reef on John Pennycamp Park, which is Florida Bay, which also kind of connects to Biscayne National Park. The Shark Valley entrance, which is one of the most unique walks with nature you'll ever have. All of this was in Ernest Coe's original vision for the original Everglades National Park. Instead, we know these things got designated one by one. Everglades National Park ended up being a smaller version of what Coe wanted. Uh, 10,000 Islands were designated separately. Uh, Big Cypress is designated separately. We've talked about Biscayne National Park in the previous episode and that designation and that battle to designate it. But the, the unique ecosystem of southeastern Florida is uh, unlike anything in the world. And... Uh, Unfortunately, the list of World Heritage Danger has had Everglades National Park listed since 2010. And that's uh, due to environmental aspects, climate change, and again, a lot of human, uh, a, a lot of human interference, including the sugar industry, et cetera. Yeah, that was, that was the next thing I was going to say is that the two greatest uh, risks to this beautiful area is still diverting water to cities and towns. They're not doing as much now as they used to, but that's still a major issue. And the fact that so much of it was turned into uh, places to grow and harvest sugarcane and and that is that is the new great battle is over big sugar and uh, what it's doing to the state. Yeah, and what we've seen happen over the course of the um, last uh, 
20 or 15 or 20 years is a shift where big sugar has gotten its, uh, um, gotten its chops into a lot of, uh, leaders in the state. Jeb Bush, Rick Scott. You've had people who fought them, uh, like Charlie Crist, like, uh, uh, Ron DeSantis. The current governor is no fan of theirs. And, 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 uh, I think that's a good thing. I'm, you know, I don't want to politicize this too much. I'm not Governor DeSantis' biggest fan, but I am, uh, quite pleased with his positions on the Everglades. In fact, uh, uh, have been, I've editorialized in support of the things he said about the Everglades. He's a Floridian, right? He's an, uh, a born Floridian. And I think, um, and again, I don't necessarily, there are a lot of people who move to the state that appreciate our natural beauty, but sometimes uh-huh. it takes a native Floridian like uh, Governor DeSantis, like a Governor Chris, to understand uh-huh. uh, the fragility and importance of that ecosystem. But yeah, sugar has taken a big toll on uh, on the uh, ecosystem, and you know that uh, they have made every effort to prevent politicians uh, that uh, that 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 uh, take them on or want to clean up the Everglades. Uh, it, it, they've made every attempt to prevent those people from getting elected governor uh, and uh, ad commissioner and, and other offices. Mary Barley, who was the uh, founder or one of the founders, me her husband died in a mysterious, in mysterious circumstances. Uh, ran for agriculture commissioner. They went all out to defeat her. Buddy McKay. Uh, they went all out to defeat him. They were successful. Ron DeSantis, they went all out to defeat in the Republican primary, were unable to do that. And there are several other examples of, uh, I, I know E. Clay Shaw, who was a Republican congressman here from South Florida, my area, Fort Lauderdale, for many years, was very anti-sugar. He was fairly conservative, but on Everglades issues, he was, I, you would consider him to the left or he was a South Floridian, right? So he, he was married to the idea of cleaning up the Everglades and, and making sugar pay what he believed was their fair share. They uh, ran any number of Democrats, supported any number of Democrats against them until they finally defeated him with Ron Klein in 2006. So that's sugar. But another impact has been has been from development and overdevelopment and uh, also, I think, a lack of understanding of the science for many people. Now we're seeing restoration efforts. Uh, there were efforts made by Jeb Bush, maybe a little bit half-hearted, but he made made some efforts. Certainly, uh, the Everglades, the comprehensive Everglades restoration plan looked safe under uh, Bob Grant and Lawton Childs, but it's been... Going in a different direction recently. Now, as we record this in late 2019, Robert, uh, the uh, the efforts of Governor DeSantis maybe will be a stopgap. Hopefully, I think that's a good place to to end it. Um, but I, you know, I am hopeful that uh, there is a um, a growing appreciation across the board for uh, the Everglades and uh, I'm I'm encouraged by what is happening now. Thank you once again for listening to the Florida History Podcast. We'll be back with you next week.